Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ambition Podcast. I'm David Woodtail, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA. Last month, I had a telephone call with Joel McConnell, Executive Director of Marketing, Recruitment and Admissions at Imperial College Business School. We had a lengthy chat about the equality, diversity and inclusion agenda and the narrative around that at present. We talked about how initiatives such as equality, diversity and inclusion can help engage key stakeholders throughout the value chain more effectively. During the conversation, we also talked a little bit about why business schools should be investing in EDI and how organizations can better engage with equality, diversity and inclusion. Hi, Joel. Thanks very much for for taking the time to speak to us for the podcast. Uh, Do you want to kick off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your career? Sure. Thanks, David. Um, Glad to. As we're going to a leadership role in graduate management education, it wasn't my intended career track, but it ended up being a great avenue for professional development. So I'm glad to share my my story here. Uh, Essentially, after I completed my Bachelor's of Commerce, I joined a rotational program at a U.S. financial services firm. And after having rotated through U.S. headquarters and Canadian headquarters, I ended up placing it their central offices in Toronto uh, as a banking services specialist. Um, after sort of the required three years or so, I was in my MBA at IE Business School in Madrid. And as luck would have it, I graduated in July 2008, which was a wonderful time to go back into banking. <laughs> um, and then that was when I made my move into higher education and, and graduate management education specifically. Um, I haven't looked back since. So, uh, again, first place, in, uh, first place with IE, uh, and I was managing their sort of scholarship endowments, banking partnership, and prestige programs, such as the partnership with Fulbright. Uh, and then later on, I went to lead their international development teams, first in Asia Pacific, and then for the Europe and Central Asia region, uh, before moving into my current role at Imperial College Business School as a executive director of marketing and recruitment and missions. Um, I'm also a bit of a lifelong learner, and so I've completed several added programs after my MBA, including a master's in finance and a luxury management program at a business school as well, doing the GSMP at Chicago Booth, a certificate program at Judge School at Cambridge. And then most recently, I did my postgrad at Oxford Society Business School. Well, amazing. You're, you're certainly very well placed to talk a lot about um, industry and business education um, with, with such a variety of roles. Um, today, we're specifically going to be talking about equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, and I know that Imperial College, where you currently work, is doing a lot to inspire EDI. Um, what initiatives are you most passionate about and what do you think will deliver the most impact, I suppose, in terms of business education and in, in terms of industry? First and foremost, Imperial College uh, London, the parent has a clear equality, diversity, and inclusion strategy, uh, which we make available to students, staff, and the general public uh, via the central website. Uh, and we also have an assistant provost of EDI, and so there's executive level leadership commitment to uh, creating a really uh, inclusive environment on campus. Um, as co-chair of Imperial 600, which is the college's staff and postgraduate student network for LGBT professionals and their allies. My primary contributions to creating an inclusive environment here on campus is related to the mission of the network. Um, However, my co-chair and I also actively engage with the other two staff networks here on campus, the first being Imperialist One, which is the uh, network for BAME or BAME staff, and with ABLE, which is the network for staff who have disabilities. I also support on issues around gender equality, and I recently had an article 
uh, on the topic of using corporate venturing as a way to get more women into the executive suite, uh, which was published by Forbes. Uh, finally, the business school, at the business school specifically, uh, early on in my tenure here, me and the team got Imperial College Business School signed up uh, as a reaching out uh, MBA or a Romba partner school as well. And the business school also recently launched an LGBT career club, and we linked this initiative to the Romba partnership by having our Romba fellow also sit on the leadership team of the career club. Now, I was going to give one example of an initiative uh, I think uh, that has had an important impact here. And this is also an easily replicable activity that can be used at other universities. I'd say that our lanyard program, uh, which has been speared by Imperial 600, is a great example. Uh, so simply put, the Imperial 600 network provides a rainbow lanyard as part of the sign-up process for becoming a member. And those lanyards have proven highly popular with both LGBT staff and postgraduate students, as well as the staff who identify themselves as allies to the network. While today the lanyards are used to show support for one specific aspect of EDI on campus, my hope is that the meaning of the lanyards comes to be that we as a university embrace all aspects of diversity and inclusion, that we are a place where the world's most competitive students, most talented staff and faculty, and, uh, and we are highly committed to support people uh, so they can come and do their best work. Fantastic. Um, I mean... Imperial College Business School is obviously Amber accredited and, and it's, you know, within the, the past sort of 18 months has become a, a member of our other um, organization, Business Graduates Association. I think that really sort of shows that, that you share our values to, to sort of take equality, diversity forward. But um, I think, you know, sort of putting that back on to, to accreditation bodies such as Amber and BGA, do you think there's a role for accreditation bodies to do more to support EDI? And if so, do you, do you think we're doing enough? Well, listen, you know, I think uh, it's important oftentimes to get a dish, external recognition of the work that's being done internally. So, you know, again, Imperial College London, I think, has made exceptional gains this year with regards to the annual Stonewall Workplace Equality Index, for example. Uh, we've, we, we jumped this year 124 places to be ranked 142 of, out of 503 employers, uh, again, as ranked by Stonewall here in the UK. So again, uh, all the work that's being done by the teams and initiatives being led by Stephen Curry, uh, the assistant provost of EI, are having measurable impact. Um, with regards to external sort of recognition of the work being done by, by business schools and universities, um, I would say that I, I do believe uh, you know accreditation bodies are contributing to the continuing focus of business schools on creating highly inclusive environments. And I'm sure schools will continue to work with accreditation bodies to further reinforce the positive impact that a highly diverse campus environment has on the learning process and, of course, outcomes. Um, how can schools themselves better tackle EDI over and above what accreditation bodies are, are tracking? Um, I recently spoke to one of our senior leaders here, and, and some of the examples that came forward uh, include the following. Uh, find ways, uh, ideally using technology, to make pedagogy more interactive and thereby encourage more active participation from across the student population. And schools like Imperial College Business School have been early investors in EdTech and are, of course, well-positioned to have an impact in this sense. Um, it's also about uh, school having, you know, how schools build and structure classwork, and in particular the makeup of, of work groups. So, you know, having an eye to encouraging students to have a more inclusive mindset so you can facilitate through uh, designing those work groups in smart ways. And then finally, I would say, you know, thinking about what 
kinds of research is being done and being sure that topics selected for research uh, funding uh, support the initiatives in practical terms. And all these kinds of things that can be done by schools could in turn be therefore recognized by accreditation bodies, which would reinforce the importance of creating an inclusive environment on campuses. Amazing. I mean, then I suppose taking a step back, why would you say it's essential for business schools to, to invest in, in EDI? Listen, simply put, uh, it's the right thing to do, uh, especially as we look to create a talent pipeline for future executive suites and boardrooms, uh, which in turn benefits organizations by having more diverse perspectives and skill sets in place uh, for senior decision-making bodies. And um, it's something that has shown to deliver better profitability and performance in a general sense. So it just makes business sense. Uh, but again, coming back to business schools, the real value, uh, I believe, is related to cognitive diversity. And uh, that is to say, you know, it's essential to create an environment where people who are you know, diverse in their way of thinking uh, bring a broader range of perspectives and previous experience and, and that, you know, together they, you know, have different ways and process information. And so, you know, you can come together, challenge each other, learn from each other, and then go on to support each other uh, as fellow alumni of the institution. And perhaps said another way, you guys an essential component uh, of top performance of leading organizations, and that applies equally to business schools. And I suppose, looking at business schools, how do you think that investing in, in EDI benefits the, benefits the actual school in terms of being able to attract the most competitive applicants, uh, to deliver a richer student experience, or, or perhaps to connect with corporates and, 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 and driving employment growth? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say leading business schools like Imperial College Business School are working hard to be a key source of the most talented potential new hires for private and public sector employers, as well as third sector organizations, uh, but also uh, to graduate high potential entrepreneurs who go on to create leading startups that go on to scale towards you know, really delivering global impact. Uh, but given the demanding list of uh, competing employers and also the diverse professional outcomes our students are looking to obtain, EDI is fundamental to how business schools need to operate. The most competitive applicants uh, expect to study uh, with talented classmates, the most capable research and faculty, and uh, want to have a school uh, population that reflects the globally integrated nature of world economies and trade today. Uh, therefore, I think uh, EDI helps ensure schools are not only attracting and choosing uh, highly talented individuals, but also that they're creating in, uh, in an on-campus environment that is uh, indicative of the workplace that we need to navigate after their program. Uh, I would say from a student perspective, again, uh, schools like Imperial College Business School and especially given our location in London, uh, which is, again, one of the globe's most international cities, uh, not making EDI fundamental to what we're doing would be a disservice to our students. So our career clubs, student leadership bodies like the Dean Student Advisory Committee, and a focus on uh, the most relevant affordable edtech solutions are always uh, we love create a highly inclusive environment here on campus. Um, you know, large corporations uh, are important tackling uh, the practicalities of both being committed to EDI and adapting to uh, local customs and norms in the varying countries and jurisdictions in which they operate. So, again, by truly committing to equality, diversity, and inclusion, business schools can help be an ally and continue to be a top choice for leading companies who have global impact and, and highly diverse hiring needs. 
Finally, uh, I, I would say that from the perspective of driving endowment growth, uh, which is key for the most competitive schools, and especially those schools who wish to have uh, you know global relevance. Uh, so by again focusing on uh, being highly inclusive, uh, leading schools are improving the probability that they are going to have a global online network that is more willing and, and of course more able to help drive you know capital campaigns and financial support strategic initiatives of the school over the longer term. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that you'd recently written an article for Forbes on entrepreneurship. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about this and, and why you believe it is worth organizations exploring the idea further? Yep. So um, as part of the work I do as co-chair of Imperial 600 and as the closing activity for LGBT History Month here in the UK, which happened in February, we hosted the Serbian Prime Minister Anna Brnovic uh, on campus, and she talked about how she and her government led much of the modernization and economic development work that has helped Serbia modernize its economy and much of the work focused on entrepreneurship and digital transformation. So in addition to her serving as an uh, inspirational role model in general, in a general sense, um, and particularly for the Imperial 600 membership base, her work also underlined the importance you know, of entrepreneurship as a tool for advancement. So, you know, shifting to another you know, important uh, challenge that you know, is sort of of the EDI realm, uh, it's, you know, also being sure to get more women executives on the boards. And my article in Forbes proposes the idea of corporate venturing as a way to help more women uh, plug back into leadership fast tracks. And especially if they've, you know, had to step out of the corporate environment for personal reasons, uh, you know, such as starting their studies or to pursue, pursue you know, an entrepreneurial interest, for example. Uh, so the idea put forward in the article uh, was that by giving women uh, highly visible you know, projects of responsibility, as well as the funding necessary to deliver impactful uh, and organic growth for organizations, um, <clears throat> uh, that you know more women can quickly gain the institutional credibility necessary to plug into the networks and, again, leadership tracks that lead to executive roles in organizations. And, you know, ultimately, as we brought in the number of profiles of women in senior executive roles, there is uh, then, you know, quite a larger pool of potential board members for organizations to choose from. So, again, sort of all comes together. And, and I think that, you know, at, you know, the Prime Minister of Serbia sort of embodied, you know, an example and sort of a role model of women that has gone on to you know, have a senior leadership role. But bringing that back down to the micro level, certainly by using corporate venturing, you know, it's one way organizations could potentially create more of a talent pool to get more women to both the executive suite and therefore onto more boards. Okay, Joel, so I think it's fair to say that you really do live by example in terms of lifelong learning, but I'd be interested to know what's next for Imperial College Business School in terms of courses or qualifications. Great question, David. Uh, listen, you know, markets never cease to provide new opportunities uh, and challenges. Uh, and the first half of 2020 is proving an interesting one uh, from the perspective of public health issues and, and how organizations need to deal with topics such as remote working and use of virtual collaboration technology and, of course, uh, business continuity in general. Uh, with this in mind, uh, some of the most interesting opportunities I'd mention here are uh, first, uh, an increasing focus on offering online versions of our highly successful MSc programs. Uh, we've already done this with our business analytics program, and we will now this fall be launching an online version of our strategic marketing program as well. Uh, 
Second, uh, a new suite of digital certificates being offered by our executive education unit in partnership with Emeritus. Uh, these are known as Imperial Executive Programs, and, and early uh, interest in the marketplace has been quite positive, and so we'll continue to build out that offering. And then third, um, we're sort of actually looking at how we might offer a sort of short credentials. Uh, there's sometimes referred to as micromasters. Uh, and delivering those between two or three elite partner schools, likely through uh, our partnership with the FOM Alliance, the Future Management Education. Uh, and again, thinking if you know potentially students completed these 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 uh, certifications in full, how those might serve as part of the credits for a full master's degree. So you know, if students decide to go on and complete a full degree program in Imperial College Business School, perhaps doing this shorter certificate. Uh, would be a, a good sort of transition point towards application and entry and then uh, getting ahead of some of their coursework. So again, lots of opportunities we're looking at right now. Uh, and I think that now more than anything has given us uh, sort of a base to think about how can we be more creative and how can we better help deliver sort of top quality education, but through different methodologies. So um, I, I guess, you know, I'd probably finish off here to say that, uh, you know, together with the educational technology, so the EdTech Lab here at Imperial College Business School, uh, we're working with the Global MBA program team and our academic leadership to continue to evolve student experience and how we deliver our online MBA programs. And that's something that will feed into the expansion of the online offering of other MSc degree programs as well. Fantastic. Lots to, lots to plan ahead. Um, thank you so much for your time, Joel. I think there was a lot of good food for thought in there, but also a lot of practical takeaways that the business school leaders can, can really easily and quickly implement in their, own, in their own schools going forward. So thank you very much for your time. It was great to speak to you. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure to catch up with the team at, uh, at Amber BGA. If organizations in the future want to practice creativity and innovation, they also need to have a culture of diversity embedded right into their core. And I think for that reason, it is essential for business schools to invest in equality, diversity and inclusion to build this pipeline of talent going forward. The conversation with Joel gave us lots of food for thought, but I also think it gave us some really practical takeaways that you can take to your business schools and put into practice straight away. I'm Ellen Buchan, Communications and Insights Assistant for AMBA. Last month, I had a phone conversation with Sarah Seedsman, an Executive Director at Media Minds. Sarah has a wealth of experience in the higher education sector, and I was keen to learn more about how business schools communicate, especially in terms of social media, with potential students, students, alumni, and all other stakeholders. Here's that conversation. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your career? Yes, hi Ellen. Um, I'm working currently at Media Minds, a marketing services agency, and I specialise in market research and consulting for business schools, so thoroughly immersed in the sector. I've actually been in the business school world about 20 years since I studied my own master's at London Business School and went back and worked there for a period of time leading alumni relations and then did a stint at Melbourne Business School leading external relations. And prior to that, a very long time in the airline industry managing new product development and customer service for both Singapore Airlines and Qantas. Um, what was the drive to move from airlines to business schools? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it was actually doing the degree at a business school. It was effectively a full-time executive MBA, the Sloan Fellowship. So I'd had a long stint in airlines and wanted to do something different. And having studied at a business school, really enjoyed the environment and the sector and ended up with a job there. Amazing. Um, so what's been the biggest change in how students are communicating with business schools and vice versa in the last few years? Okay, I might um, address that by thinking about prospective students and look at both how they're communicating with but also where they're seeking information about which business school and which programs and what we're seeing in terms of how business schools are communicating and marketing to them. I think the biggest change now is that, of course, they're roving across a wide range of channels and platforms online to find out about a school and to essentially verify whatever the official marketing says about a school. So they do rove across a lot of social media channels and professional platforms like LinkedIn. They go to a lot of student review sites. They use the LinkedIn directory to look at alumni profiles and contact them. And then underneath that, you know, the website is a key source of reference information. So it's definitely been an era of moving away from traditional brochures and communicating through that sort of channel. Um, I think at the same time, there's still very much, despite all of the social channels and online communications and websites, still a very high personal touch preferred within communications and in fact GMAC did a survey last year which indicated that most candidates still prefer email as their official channel of communications um, so some tried and true methods still hold true. Have you got any examples of how business schools have taken advantage of the powers of social media to be really successful? Yeah, I think there are a lot of examples and we're certainly seeing a lot right now during this pandemic crisis where suddenly social media is coming into its own for the schools as a means of mobilising their communities and allowing them to communicate. So, for example, INSEAD have set up a group on Facebook with their alumni project Green Cross, which is looking at and enabling alumni to work with each other to support local communities, to find ways of moving medical supplies and equipment and to do fundraising for communities. So that was very quickly started up and has mobilised very quickly. Um, we've seen, for example, over the last year in tracking we've done when we look at how active schools are on social media, that Imperial College Business School, for example, has been really active from the dean down on communicating and being present on social so it's built a real sense of community and now they're reaching out across that community to fundraise for further research which imperial college itself is at the front of so they had a ready engaged audience through what they've done um, we're seeing across social channels of course a lot of the useful thought leadership that business schools have about how you lead through a crisis how you manage people and teams and business through a crisis is now popping up all over the different social channels and on LinkedIn, which, of course, sometimes we should really think of LinkedIn as a professional platform, not just social. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. We see campaigns where schools have thought about a 
theme, that they want to gather content that they can use from their actual audiences. So they think of a hashtag, like hashtag why I love LBS. And then literally over a period of years, they have students and graduates and alumni and faculty as they post on different topics, different photos, different videos on different channels, all use that hashtag to gather and, and collate all of that. And then that becomes really useful content for prospective students to see what the community has said about the school. We've also seen, I think, some deans have been using LinkedIn really effectively to communicate, which helps raise the brand profile of the school in a very competitive market. And it helps build that sense of community helps keep an alumni community around the world engaged. So we track 100 deans on LinkedIn, have been doing that for over a year to look at how active they are or not. And, you know, you see at the top of that list, for example, Jeff Garrett, who's currently dean at Wharton, he has almost half a million followers on LinkedIn and he posts regularly. So Jeff and the Wharton brand are in front of a wide audience very regularly. And you put that in context, the FT, which is an important publication to business schools because of the rankings, it only achieved last year one million subscribers. So Jeff already has free access to an audience of half a million. Um, so it's very powerful as a channel to help raise the school's profile. So a lot of different examples like that. ESCP in Europe, it's French students at the moment have set up on Facebook the COVID Fight Club. And that group on Facebook is working to look at how they support communities in France, particularly, and seeing some nice videos on different channels, Facebook, Instagram, and elsewhere from student groups, putting out messages of thanks to healthcare workers, staff, researchers at universities. Saw a nice one from Northwestern Uni yesterday. Um, so yeah, all sorts of examples there of where it's working well. That's so heartwarming to hear that schools are coming together to support um, the community in such a hard time. It's so nice. It is, it is. And that's sort of an example of the power of good of social media to enable it when at other times there are so many question marks around trust and effectiveness of some of the channels. So it is heartwarming. Talking about effectiveness of tra channels, um, I use social media a lot in my personal life, but um, I sometimes even find it hard to keep up with it. Do you use Instagram or like TikTok is coming into being really big and has like got, even got more followers than um, Instagram. How do organisations and business schools keep up? How do you identify if a social media is a trend or a fad or if it's here to stay? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and typically when talking to business schools, the first thing we'd sort of say is don't feel that you've got to play with every shiny new toy that's on the shelf. Um, so whilst there are an absolute plethora of channels that people around the world are using personally, the important thing for an organisation like business school is to be quite considered in which ones are going to work for whatever your goals are and the strategy that you're pursuing. So it is a matter, and this sort of goes back even to the, the 
product and service development I did at airlines, start with the audience you want to reach and understand the best place to reach them with the content they're looking for and want to engage with and that you can then support as a channel with the resources you've got available. So it is a matter of sometimes being quite ruthless because most business schools don't have resources to spread themselves thinly across a lot of channels, but by being quite focused, it is also... uh, an important area to keep an eye on some of the data and analytics because you can see different trends when business schools are using social media as an organisation compared to what you might see and feel and experience as a personal user. So one example on that is, you know, you mentioned Instagram and as that potentially is something that might have had its time and maybe TikTok's taken over. In fact, from what we're seeing, Instagram is just coming into its own for business schools as an organisation. So it's a different stage of the curve. And uh, business schools have been relatively slow to start using it, started using it on the basis that, hey, that's a great channel to put photos of campus and photos of students But what we're seeing in social media tracking we do across half a dozen channels for about 50 schools is Instagram right now um, is getting the highest acquisition of new followers. So more people are choosing to go and find business schools on Instagram than they are on somewhere like Facebook. Um, But what's even more interesting when you look at somewhere like Instagram If you look at it and think that's our channel for photos of student life and campus, you're very much restricting the potential of what works. And if you look at Instagram, an example we're using at the moment is if you go to Harvard Business Review, a publishing site, a magazine, and then a website, they have an Instagram channel with almost 2 million followers and not a single photo on the channel. And they are sharing their thought leadership, their articles and content in quite long form of text on Instagram and getting huge engagement rates. And so they have bigger audiences and higher engagement than business schools are currently seeing. So it's a good example of how business schools can think about where do we put some of our faculty thought leadership, our interviews with business leaders and so on, not just LinkedIn, which is a great publishing platform, but Instagram is at the moment really effective to do that. So I think it's a matter of having, you know, one eye always on your audience, one eye is always on what are we trying to achieve, um, what are our goals, and then making some, you know, common sense decisions about, okay, what's the best channel for the audience segment we want to reach and the content we've got to share. That's really interesting. Um, So you talked a little bit about thought leadership. Is there any way that schools, um, on top of what you said, can make sure that their thought leadership is not lost in the excess of content available online and make it sure that it reaches the people it's supposed to reach? Yes, good question. So it's a don't spray and pray, as they say. Don't just put it everywhere and hope they'll be noticed. Again, it's that sort of process of careful consideration of thinking of your audience and where are they and why are they there and will they expect to be seeing you there so you're not intruding. Um, 
And of course, a business school always has two options because there's organic posting of putting it out for free on the channels. And then you've got various options on the different channels of how you can pay or sponsor to distribute it more widely. So I won't talk about those, but look more at the organic of just we want to post it, you know, how can we get it noticed? I think the key thing is always use your website as a hub to have it there in the first place so you can keep linking back to it. Do always think about a multi-channel approach. So don't just think, oh, that's an article, we'll just put that on LinkedIn do think about how you can then use extracts in different ways across different channels because different parts of your audience will be on those different channels. Don't think you should just use it once if we've got a new article from a faculty member, let's put it out next week. Many articles you can give quite a life to with different extracts to repost because you won't reach your whole audience the first time you put it there. Um, so there is the opportunity to sort of sensibly reuse it. And then at the end of the day, you know, bear in mind that all of these platforms have an algorithm behind them that chooses what gets distributed and to whom. So ideally try and learn a little bit about the algorithm. Think about whether putting it into groups that you've got set up privately is the right channel or whether it's public distribution or both. Think very importantly about the sort of, if you like, viral promotion through people's different networks because this is a way to sort of go beyond the algorithm of the platform through the sharing. So a lot of people focus in their posts on LinkedIn or Instagram or elsewhere on hashtags of all this contents about leadership. So I'll do a hashtag leadership. What they don't spend enough time thinking about is tagging people with the, you know, at Ellen, so that your followers then see that post on your line. And that's where you can quite powerfully get a wider distribution by mentioning people in your post. So thinking about, you know, who is it relevant and who's got a wide audience within our team at the school. So, you know, Wharton staff do at Jeff Garrett, and that's half a million people who may see the post. Um, so thinking about that personal distribution and how to spread it there as well. But then at the end of the day, with your, your content out there, you know, fundamental communications rule, you should also never forget it's about relevance and quality and impact. And I think a lot of people who are putting content out perhaps don't spend enough time looking at their first sentence and their headline, because if your headline and your first sentence don't grab the attention of the reader, who is quite possibly scrolling through a very long feed, then you won't get the attention for your content that you want. So whatever your article and as you're drafting the post, really spend time on polishing that headline and that first sentence. So they'd be some of the tips we'd have on how to get an audience for your thought leadership. Those are some really great tips. Well, how are business schools turning their alumni from passive stakeholders to active advocates for the school? Um, that's an interesting one because the answer to that one's got to start offline rather than online in the digital world. It starts, first of all, with the student experience because those alumni that have 
a fantastic student experience have a much stronger level of loyalty and pride as alumni than those who didn't. So there is that absolute nexus between what was the student experience like that then flows through to the feelings and the attitude that alumni have and how far they want to go to support the school. So alumni relations then becomes about what's our engagement strategy to keep those feelings of pride and positivity and engagement really strong and then within that strategy okay which different channels do we use to communicate with or to bring together and connect alumni and which social channels do we use so you know digital platforms social channels are part of a plan but getting that active advocacy starts offline it also is about i think you know using those channels and within your engagement really building a strong community and sense of community and sense of belonging and that is of course where social can serve you if you use it well with alumni groups and allowing alumni to connect or rather enabling them to connect online if you just think alumni are essentially a database of names or we build a network which you know all sounds a bit more cold and clinical you tend not to see the same response of really really strong advocacy whereas if you've got a sense of community people will do anything for others in the community in need including the school itself and of course that's what we're seeing right now in community with the virus people step up and do remarkable things for community we saw it with volunteers just two months ago in the Australian bushfires where the 75,000 firefighters were all volunteers who stepped up to do it and volunteer and support community so so alumni relations teams who focus on building a sense of community and who then use the online platforms to enable the community to stay together and who then really communicate with transparency and honesty and in a quite frank but very personal way are going to be able to enrol alumni support far more powerfully because at the end of the day if you've got that connected community and let's look ahead a few months with a lot of schools potentially struggling to fill a lot of their courses because students in this sort of pandemic world might not want to do their degree this year or might not want to study internationally so it could be a tougher market and likewise could be a tougher jobs market you want to enroll your alumni to say can you refer candidates can you talk to applicants please and help convince them that this school and this degree is the right choice do you have any jobs in your organization and if you can speak that frankly to a community that you've already built and say, we need your help in these times to do that, um, then they will be really, really active um, alumni. So I, I think that's, that's my answer on how to build it up. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me today. I've just got one last question. and. Um, I just wanted to know that you, if you work a lot with social media in your working life, does that affect how you use it outside of work? Are you a lover or a hater of social media? I'd probably answer that by qualifying that, you know, I grew up in an era of black and white television before the internet and before mobile phones. So I would say at this point, I'm a 
curious observer, neither lover nor hater, but a curious observer. It, it fascinates me because, you know, I look back to the communications I grew up with and look now at what's possible. And I just think that's endlessly fascinating. So I have quite a curiosity about it. Um, I don't use it nearly as much personally as I'm involved in it at work, but mainly because a lot of my communities of friends aren't using it actively. So it's a great source of information for me. I'm also an expatriate living in the UK as an Aussie. So I can go on to social and see what some of my friends in Australia are doing, which is great. Um, but it's not something that consumes all of my waking hours outside work. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. Yes. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today. My pleasure, Ellen. My pleasure. I think Sarah gave us some really good tips on how to engage people and make sure your content is seen by the right stakeholders. For more thought leadership, visit www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition for a new article every morning. I look out for the next Ambition podcast.